Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where we have got a bit of an interesting match at the weekend, to say the very least, to discuss. I am your host today, Adam Jones, joined by Gab Buckland, Chris Beasley and Paul Wheelock to go over Everton's defeat to Manchester City at Goodison Park. But we know that Phil Foden's uh, goal in a 1-0 win is probably not going to be the main talking point of this one we've got. Uh, a bit of a, a a bit of a strong Everton performance to discuss. Uh, some post match comments from Frank Lampard, which I think were very interesting. But uh, Chris, we'll have to. We're, I think we're just going to have to start with the uh, yeah. with the main talking point from the game, aren't we? You know, we, uh, shortly after Man City had taken the lead late on in the game, uh, the ball bounces up inside the Man City penalty area. Seems to seems to strike Rodri on the arm. We could all see it in the stadium. We could all see it in real time. Uh, the referee couldn't see it, to be fair. He, he did look like he was a little bit unsighted. VAR could see it, but uh, did not give Everton a spot kick, which was, you know, I, I think I described it at the weekend as one of the most ridiculous decisions I've I've seen in my time reporting on football. I mean, is that something that, is that something that you agree with? Yeah, um, obviously we'll, we'll go to Gav later as well, and he's, he's seen more than yourself and even myself, but in whatever our respective... Um times of watching football as it's got to be it's got to be up there hasn't it um at the time it, it, it looked like a, a strong shout in, in real time and then when like you said once we'd actually all seen it on the replay which the var had the access to and paul tierney could have had the access to had uh, chris kavanagh deemed it worthy of a second look on the pitch side monitor it was blatant it was below the t- the supposed t-shirt line so wasn't a question in that respect. He just brought it down with his arm, controlled the ball in the, the air. He had it. It's a penalty. I mean, it wasn't just gamesmanship from Richarlison, the fact that he was stood there on the penalty spot. Um, I'm pretty sure he was convinced, as almost everyone is in the stadium, was that in time, once that decision was reviewed, it was going to be a, a penalty kick. Um, whatever we think about VAR, and there's been horrendous teething problems with the system in, in, in recent years. That That's one of the main reasons it has been brought in. When you, you have something like that, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the match day referee is not in a position where he can see it, where you can um, go to that and um, make the correct um, decision, if that's not clear and obvious, Heather. And I, I really don't know um, what is, but the, the problem is, Everton um, obviously um, putting a formal complaint today, as we will talk about. Frank Lampard was very vocal about it, which was which was good to see and understandable. And but it's not going to give Everton that point back, that potential point. Obviously, they still had to convert the penalty, which is another thing. But they had an opportunity there for what would have been a deserved draw and, and very difficult circumstances against the league champions, and they were denied it. Mm. I mean, Gav, you were you were sat off with us. In the press box as well, you had yeah. a very, very similar view 
as me and Chris add to the whole incident, I mean, do you agree that it was, you know, even in real time, it, it looked like a blatant stonewall penalty, didn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's said before we came on air that that's as bad a decision I've seen in 50 years of watching football because of the VAR aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, it was you know, when people watch it, they did the monitors in the press box, you obviously see supporters behind. The consensus was, and sometimes you get decisions of football, and there's a bit of mumbling and stuff, or you know, because that's what everybody said it was a penalty. You know, it was, and everybody said since it was a penalty. I can't remember many decisions taken in a football game, certainly in the last few years, where everybody, everybody, be it player, pundit, supporter, are unanimous in their opinion. There's no mm. grey in this. It was it was clear handball. It was textbook handball, as Shearer said on uh, match of the day on Saturday, with the added value that uh, Rodri actually, you know, it's an unnatural position for his arm, and he sort of leans in. Mm. To control the ball with it, so it's a textbook handball. He couldn't get um, he, he couldn't get more uh, explicit than that. And uh, there's so much to talk about this, so I'm not going to say everything. But it, it just shows up, you know, the 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 sort of the failings of the VAR system in one mm-hmm. one fell swoop, doesn't it? Really, mm-hmm. um, which are in short for me, you know, the lack of lack of clarity when you're at the ground. Over what's being said, uh, I think I'm not a fan of referees also being VAR officials. I think that the two things should be independent. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, uh, the failure of Tierney to who, who I think it's in his own gift to go to the the pit side monitor, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. He can do it himself to go to the pit side monitor. Um, you know all that, and also the, the 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 pathetic, pathetic explanation afterwards with not enough evidence. So. I mean, well, what does that mean? Well, why isn't there enough evidence? That's the question, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. short of Rodri picking the ball up with his left hand and rolling it down his right arm, I don't think mm-hmm. much more he could have done to have, have committed handball in the area. Yeah. Um, and it just shows that the system is is um, not fit for, for purpose, regardless of the, the, the end decision. And it, that was crystallised in one, you know, one uh, one decision there for me. It was, um, it was just as it was just. You know, people have said, you know, it wasn't incompetence, was it? There was some, I, I get that people, why people think there's something else going is there's something else going on there because you can't be that incompetent where you can miss a clear handball looking mm-hmm. at the screen. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just thought it was just awful. The one thing I'd say is because of the time, I'm going off a dance here if you've got 25 minutes. Um, <laughs> I haven't said I don't want to say everything about VAR. I've now saying everything about VAR is, is, I think a lot, a lot, a lot of it's about consequences of decision making. VAR. If that was five minutes into the game, they're given the penalty there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. all day long they give a penalty because there's eighty-five minutes then to to correct any any failing. But with the, if there's five minutes left, obviously the time's limited, and I think the timing of the you know the time of the um, decision. Mm. Uh, came into it in terms of like only five minutes left on the on the pitch, and uh, I, I guess I mean to be VAR has only shown the the way big clubs get the big advantage even more than beforehand. To be honest with you, because of consequences, that's why. Yeah, mm. not great, and it was mm. a poor. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, Paul, it, it, like as Gav rightly says, there it takes us back. 
to an age-old discussion, doesn't it, about you know the level of officiating in in the Premier League and you know now with VAR, the VAR, the way the VAR system works. And I think you know the fact that the fact that the Premier League's initial explanation talked about you know there not being enough clear and conclusive evidence to send Paul Tierney over to the monitor with it being a subjective decision. I, I, I just I just don't understand that. I can't I can't compute that in my head because if it is a subjective decision, then surely it should be down to the on-field referee. Like surely that for the in these situations, these are the ones where he should be sent over to the monitor more than anything else. Because otherwise, we're we're going quickly to a to an era where the game's going to be refereed in Stockley Park rather than actually on the pitch, aren't we? Yeah, it's it was, it's unforgivable. <clears throat> really, at the very least, he should have been sent to the side monitor and then surely he would have seen which is gav rightly said everyone else seen you know i've, I've never known such a unanimous verdict on a, on a penalty decision before and it, it, at the time where we sit to pass you guys towards the park end in the main stand it looked a penalty from there and you know you can tell from the way players in the gladys street reacted that there was a really big shout but just to get back up to, you know, the reception on your Wi-Fi is not the best at Goodison. Is and it was only, there was a lot of traffic on the way out uh, going out of Walton because obviously City fans are going down the uh, the same route as a lot of Everton fans. And it wasn't until we got closer to home that you actually seen it. And it, it it's, it's just staggering. And I didn't think I'd ever see a day where I'd probably judge a decision as the bad as the one Klassenberg made in one derby. And Graham Paul made in another derby when we went off the backside of Hutchison and went in. Obviously, the, the Clattenberg one was the penalty late on. And I know you said on a, a video after the game on Tony Scott's video, Gavin, my dad certainly referenced it as well, Clive Thomas. But we've really have got a, you know, we, we have got a, a, another another one to add to the to the kind of the shameless, the bad decisions that have gone against Everton. It's just, you cannot believe it. You cannot believe it. And it's, it's, it, it's just doubly gut-wrenching because you know the position we're in and how big a point that could have made, given the fact that we don't play again. While Burnley play twice, I think, before we play against Tottenham next Monday. Mm. And the fact that we played so well, which I'm sure we'll come on to, but yeah, it's just staggering. I, I cannot... The, Denise Baxner rightly has, has complained to the, to the Premier League today. They need to say something because they've got it badly, badly wrong. Yeah, there's, there's just no, there's no hiding place for them. It's, it's pretty hard still to take now. Two days on. Mm. Well, I mean, Chris Frank Lampard, as, as you mentioned before, he was quite angry in his post-match comments. He said to us, "We've lost a point potentially when we're fighting for our life by a professional who can't do his job right, and that's amazing. It's incompetence to get it wrong. Anyone who understands football at any level uh, will know that it's the most clear handball that you can give." All the criteria, arms out below the sleeve. Great from our point of view. I'm waiting for him to run to the screen and give it. It's a comp incompetence at best, at worst. Who knows? And you know, obviously, <laughs> it's a, it's probably something that Frank Lampard's going to get a phone call from somebody at the Premier League or the FA about uh, over the next couple of days. You imagine to uh, explain his comments, but you know, it, it, it it's spot on, isn't it? And you know, he he, he was saying that he's going to wait for the apology or whatever is set to come from the Premier League, but that's not going to change anything, is it? You know, this, this is, you know, the, the 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 real potential for Everton to get what could be a, a really, really valuable point from now until the end of the season against uh, the Premier League champions. And uh, they've not been able to, well, they've been denied the opportunity to get that really, which is, which is pretty staggering, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
I'm speaking to uh, Michael Ball earlier, so he's got a column coming up um, soon, and um, he was telling me how he, he was made up with what Frank Lampard did, and also what um, Denise Barrett-Baxendale did on behalf of the club there, as we understand them. Um, it's about time that um, Everton stood up for this, uh, um, as, as Michael Ball told me. He said that you know they've been a soft touch for far too long in this respect to sort of shrug the shoulders and got on with it, and maybe because it isn't they were playing Manchester City. It's Manchester City in the title race. It's got a lot more exposure than it would have got if it was just Everton against somebody else. And people wouldn't really be too bothered that Everton missed out or had some shocking decision went went, went against them. And Michael has said, as we've, we've alluded to already, it's not an isolated incident. I'm sure that every club have got their big long list of um, things that have gone against them in the years. But Everton really do have some really sort of damning decisions that have gone against them over the years. And like I said, this this will be added to them. I mean, if it can just even put a seed of doubt into the referees' minds going forward, um, maybe Everton between now and the end of the season might get one that goes the other way because it is going to be close. As we mentioned there, not playing again until next Monday, which is already a difficult fixture away at Tottenham. It's almost, it's, it's a paradoxical situation, really. I just I discussed it yesterday in our talking point piece Um Everton looking a lot rosier now under Frank Lampard. You've got that unity on and off the pitch. You start putting in performances, certainly at Goodison at least, and a different level than what we'd seen previously all season. But short term, they realistically could be in the relegation zone over the next week or so. So it's almost like it's going to get worse before it gets better. So I think calm heads are needed in, in this situation because you can see if they play like they did against Manchester City, they will be in fine in terms of against relegation, but they've got to get these points on the board. And if if you're not playing against in the league until like a couple of games after some of your um, rivals have, have played, you know, it, it, it does have a potential to get quite nasty. And that, and that point could have, you know, made all the difference really. Mm. I mean, Gav as well, just before we started recording, Pep Guardiola was asked about, the incident again and his quotes now are saying uh, what i will say is the pass by delhi alley looks like it's offside to richarlison if it's not offside then it's a penalty i mean you know, it's he's, he's in a position where he can say that now <laughs> can't he <laughs> it's fell in his favor i oh, i i don't like not a fan of managers coming up when the decision's gone in their favor and they say oh yeah i, I, I thought we you know, we were lucky there or you know <laughs> I, yeah it was, it was a couple of further comments the the telling point for me is the city players were having a go at Rodri afterwards, weren't they? Yeah, because they yeah. knew it was a handball, mm-hmm. and they, so they they could have like conceivably cost them two points. The final point, which I think is the key point for me with VAR, is you know we've spoken about Clattenberg and Clive Thomas and stuff. They're thinking in the now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know they're, they're reacting to what they're seeing immediately, mm-hmm. and like you know you can make mistakes, and that's what VAR has helped. You know is there to, to assist uh, referees. To me, it's all about consequences. And I think they are allows officials too long to think of the consequences of the decision that they're, they're taking. Yeah. And I think on, on Saturday, um, you know, you're sitting there thinking, oh, if I give a penalty here, could cost City. They're a big, powerful club, top of the league. It's going to have massive repercussions. Uh, which is the decision that's going to... T- uh, caused the least amount of repercussions not to give a penalty. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened with the same two officials. Harry Kane should have gone gone at the, the Spurs stadium in December. But who's going to send the England, England skipper off in a high-profile game? 
mm-hmm. live on live on television. So again, there they took the decision that causes the least repercussions, and uh, and I think that's what VAR does. It, it gives people too much thinking time mm-hmm. over the consequences of their decision, and I think when you do that, I think that's when the influence of big clubs, famous managers, title races, all that type of stuff is allowed to have too much influence mm. rather than yeah. giving the decision in the now. And I, so VAR, rather than addressing the issue of bias towards big clubs, which is one of the things, is actually accentuating it mm-hmm. for me. And you saw that perfect, perfectly on Saturday. And um, I, I just thought it, yeah. No, you know, I think I was I seen Dermot Gallagher this morning on Ref Watch and stuff, and he was talking about images. No, I think it'd be really helpful in the VAR space. A professional football photographer. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be a bad shelf. You know, to just to sit in Stockley Park, to people who spent their entire lives photographing footballers mm. in relation to the ball and understanding the flow of the game and what's a good image and what's a bad image and. You know why people have done certain things. You know, because because all you do is photography, you anticipate stuff, don't you? And I yeah. think a professional football photographer would be hugely beneficial um, about what images to use and what's happened. You know what's happening, and you know where, where the ball is in relation to the player. And mm. I, I, that struck me this morning when I was watching Sam McAllister yeah. using yeah. the images, and he yeah. said that what he, the, uh, the the VAR official may have got to. Uh, head up over the image from the side, but it looks as though it's sort of at the top of his arm rather than behind, where it's quite clearly, you know, uh, you know, near the bottom of his arm. And I think somebody like a somebody like a an experienced press photographer football games could be quite useful in advising mm. people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's consequences for me, and that came into uh, play on uh, Saturday, I'm sure. Mm. I mean, Paul, like finally, well, final point on this before we move on to talk about the actual uh, the actual rest of the 90 minutes and the performance. But I mean, I, I suppose I suppose there'll be fans of a lot of Premier League cl- clubs across the country who'll think that, you know, VAR has worked against them more than it's worked for them. But, you know, do, do Everton have the most big decisions kind of go against them? Because I'm thinking... The Deli Alley handball in that Spurs game, which where he had his arm above his head, and somehow that that wasn't given as handball. We had the Michael Keane one against Brighton, where Brighton got a penalty. Was it was it Aaron Connolly? He was he was he was brought down brought down in inverted commas there, and uh, that changed the, the flow of the game. Everton were two two one up in that game, ended up losing that three uh, two, and now you've got this one as well. I'm sure there's others that I'm. That I'm forgetting. Well, Oriol Romeo uh, against Southampton. That that handball that was only that was only a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? So, yeah, you know, Everton really do have a real basis to be angry about these sort of consistent VAR decisions, don't they? Massively. I think I read a piece on Sunday where they were saying of the last like four big decisions in the Premier League that they clearly got wrong. Two have involved in Everton there in recent weeks, and obviously the Romeo one as well. It, we, yeah, it, we've got history there, and we've. And we've got history with Kavanaugh, haven't we? There's, there's no. Mm-hmm. This isn't the first time. The greatest threat in the world that he, he's got it wrong and co- cost us badly, you know. And his officiating, and that's why coming back to what you've you've been saying there, Lampard particularly was right to call it out. Yeah, you know, he might get a fine. You know, who knows? He certainly might get. You know, his wrist slept, but he had to set his marker out there and and the club's marker really because it can't go on. Because I do feel. 
sadly, this one has been amplified more given the fact that Liverpool are right on uh, Man City's coattails. And obviously Liverpool, even more so than Man City and the big media exposure they got. And I think there was obviously a lot of Liverpool fans on social media and whatever afterwards. They were angry too. And it makes me worry that if there wasn't a title race on, it might have not got the exposure it's got. It might have just been forgotten about. But as Gav said, it's consequences. And the consequences of what it's done for Everton are kept as close to the relegation zone than what we wanted. And you only hope that it doesn't have some more serious consequences later on down the season. But it's got to have consequences for, for Cavern as well. You know, after that Klassenberg derby, didn't referee Goodison again for a number of years. I think he may have only did it once after that. And I'm, I, I've got to speak as a supporter here rather than somebody who works for the Echo. But I, I don't want to see Cavanagh's name on the back of the programme or, you know, listed on Twitter when the, the team sheets are, you know, you know, handed out now because it's it's too many times he's cost everything. And this one, there is just, there's nothing he can say or the Premier League can say that can justify the decision. You know, it, it, it was just that bad. Mm. And Chris, I, th- I suppose the... The disappointing thing is that it's it's dominated the conversation and it's taken away from what I just you know described at the start of the of the podcast today is a, a pretty robust performance from Everton. You know, Man City obviously did break through in the end, but, but I would suggest that was probably in pretty fortuitous circumstances. But you know, all all in all, it's a ninety minute display that was probably up there with the best that we've seen under under Frank Lampard, particularly, wasn't it? Yeah, given the the, uh, the strength of the opposition, I remember obviously we were in the, the press room at Goodison before the game, and we were just looking at that team sheet, and even the Manchester City substitutes, you know, the amount of talent they were capable to bring off the bench, you're thinking, you know, what what's this going to be? I mean, a colleague said to me beforehand, I won't name his name, but he said, would you take a 2-1 defeat now? And then I said, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Um, no, no. But yeah, it just showed... Showed you what they were up against, um, and the fact that they did run them close. Obviously, first half, like I said, Jordan Pickford had very little to do. How often can you say that in a full forty-five minutes against City? Of course, second half, then they start to turn the screw, start to work those openings, and he had to pull off a couple of great saves, especially that 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 second one there um, from from Silva, wasn't it? Um, after he mm-hmm. sort of pushed him into a uh, position from the De Bruyne shot. First, first off, but yeah, having a couple of opportunities. Richarlison probably should have done better from at least one of those two chances. I know one of them was offside, but he wasn't to know that. Um, yeah, they they really played well, and that's uh, they said we're in this strange position with Everton at the moment, in that they they should be absolutely fine if they carry on like that between now and the rest of the season. But they've got to get those points on the board, um, and. They have to start, you know, it's, it's still only the one league victory under Frank Lampard, but you've got to keep a cool head and, and have that patience. They, they, they're, they're doing the right things now. They obviously have to improve away from home. That's a big thing for them. They've got to start picking up some points on, on the road and um, just, uh, just being in games more away from home. But certainly at, at Goodison Park now, they've, they've shown that, you know, you've got that unity and it wasn't, and it wasn't there under Benitez. Obviously, everyone was desperately trying to roused the team but it just wasn't there and the fact that everyone's singing from the same hymn him sheet they're, they're you know they're they're impressed with what frank and his staff have done on the training pitch and what they've said since they've came into the clubs remember it's still only less than a month since he was appointed on transfer deadline day so 
hopefully that that, that can that it is it seems hard to say oh, what can you take from that from that game because ultimately they were left with nothing and they'd be bitterly disappointed but that generally was one of those games where even though you were beaten you should be able to take the positives from it and take encouragement for the rest of the season because you know obviously it is a tough relegation battle in which they're, they're very much in the thick of at the moment the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo Well, I mean, Gav, how many how many positives do you think that can be took from it? Because I think you know, over the last couple of weeks when we've been on the podcast, I think quite rightly you've made the point that you know Everton's wins under Frank Lampard. You've got to you've got to try and assess the opposition that Everton were up against. You know, Brentford on the slide, Leeds on the slide. I think it was quite right to make those points. But Man City certainly aren't a team on the slide, <laughs> no, are, they, are they? And Everton put, gave them a real a real good game at the weekend, which is you know it, it's no mean feat, as Chris says. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the first half is probably the best we played against a super team or whatever you would call them for, for a long time. Um, City's uh, XG was 0.16, wasn't it, at half time? So, I can't remember the last time City had 0.16 XG for the half of football. Yeah, I thought we played, it wasn't just sitting deep and defending well and being compacted. We played all the good joined up stuff, um, used the, the flanks. Well, um, I think the key thing for me on Saturday was we, we had three men in midfield, which I've said before is it's pointless having three, three in midfield if you haven't got the right balance, um, which has been the case all season for me. But Van der Beek coming in and Decore coming back to fitness has enabled us to get that sort of classic midfield three of somebody will sit a box to box and somebody will just, you know, maybe uh, play further up the pitch. Now, um, Alan got. Uh, through a lot of box-to-box work, didn't he, certainly in the mm-hmm. first half on, on Saturday. So I think the difference for me was that midfield three um, worked really well, um, even into the into the second half when we were under the cosh a little bit. And and that gave us more shape and more dynamism. Uh, and, and I thought what we'd have done really well on Saturday was City, the funny team City is, you know how they're going to play. <laughs> they're an easy team to play against because you know exactly how they're going to play. The personnel may change, but you know what you're going to do. They're going to do. And what we did really well, I thought, on Saturday, particularly in the first half, is, is block that classic City ball of playing the pass between the, 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 the centre-half and the full-back and getting, getting to the byline. And by having a three who, who kept the shape, we, we, blocked, we blocked those passing channels off a lot. And, and, and ultimately... I thought City looked a bit nervy and edgy on mm. Saturday. I mean, the number of times they passed the ball out to play, crosses were overhit. Um, I, I thought they looked like a team that would feel under pressure. And we helped that by the way we set up. And we, you know, we've obviously talked about the goal in a bit, but I, I just lots of positives to take from that going forward. And if to show that desire and uh, organisation between now and the end of the season, I think we'll, uh, we'll be more than okay. Mm. I think Gav makes a really good point about the midfield there, Paul. I mean, I think it kind of sums up what we've been missing from Abdoulaye Decore over the last month or so, doesn't it? And it kind of suggests why Frank Lampard was so so keen to have him back. And you know, he trusted him enough to throw him straight straight into what was a really energetic. Well, it had to be a really energetic sort of performance. And you know, Decore got straight up there in, in terms of a. Uh, in terms of the energy levels alongside, I thought Van der Beek was very really good. Alan was very good again, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he was outstanding, the core. I didn't think he'd actually last the 90 minutes, given you know the, the amount of time he's been out. But he makes such a huge difference to the team. And I think he makes such a huge difference to, to Alan as well, you know, that he's got some legs alongside him. And I think, as we talked about there, the, the three-man midfield helps Alan massively, as maybe even more so than the core, because he just ex- looks exposed as a two, certainly against good teams like Southampton, who move the ball around well and, and usually have three in midfield. But I thought... Him, even maybe more so than the Corley on Saturday, was actually an even better performer, especially given the way that he played in those away games at, uh, at Southampton and Newcastle. But I felt, I don't feel for Benitez, certainly not, because <laughs> he didn't do anywhere near enough good a job. But I, I I do wonder if he would have ever gone to a free, whether it would have been ever, diff- ever, ever different. Because I think it's one of those things, isn't it, with you know football managers clearly know more about the game than maybe some most of us supporters but all season we've been calling for that three-man midfield haven't we and we finally got to see it on Saturday and it was, as Gaz rightly said there there was really nice balance about it with Van der Beek many a times dropping deeper but he's such a, a nice footballer isn't he on the eye and he, his, his positioning is good and his, his touch and first time passing is good and we can only hope like the injury came off with isn't serious but I think as Chris rightly said there's enough there on Saturday to prove that we can get out of trouble. And, you know, if we played anywhere near as like that over the course of the 90 minutes at Southampton, I'm sure we would have got something. Obviously, Decore was missing, which was such a, a big loss, but they've got to back that up now at Tottenham. As well as Tottenham were playing, you know, they were excellent at Man City, got a great win at Leeds, but I think the caveat there is that everyone's battering Leeds at the moment and it might not be so easy going forward now they've actually got rid of Bielsa because clearly the players weren't playing for him in the end. Uh, they've got to go there, Everton, play that play like that against Tottenham on Monday because you know we can do that against City, we can do that against Tottenham. This, uh, but as Chris rightly said again, you know we need points, don't we? It, it, the positives are there, but we need points because I, I know we'll probably talk about this more next week on the podcast, but just feels going into that massive week of Wolves, Newcastle, and Watford. I wouldn't want to be going in it with a defeat because I think it'll pile the pressure on even more than what it is, a huge week in our season. Mm. Just on Dan, Van der Beek, uh, Frank Lampard seemed to confirm after the game that Van der Beek was just suffering from cramp, uh, which he said was you know entirely understandable, going from not playing at all at Man United to coming in and playing a lot of minutes already for Everton. So that was on an initial basis anyway. Let's just uh, let's hope that was right and he will be fit enough to take on Tottenham next week. But... Bees, you know, talking about the, this 4-3-3 system, as Paul rightly says, you know, this is something that Everton fans have wanted to see for a while. Uh, does it maybe create something of a selection dilemma for Frank Lampard almost? I'm, I'm thinking more so for the attacking three because, you know, Everton took on Man City without Dominic Calvert-Lewin and without mm. Demardi Gray in the starting lineup. Uh, Richarlison, you'd suggest, is, you know, a, a guaranteed starter for Everton. Anthony Gordon's probably been... Uh, one of the best players of the last two or three months, I would I would potentially say. I, I think Alex Iwobi had another good game against Man City as well. So, you know, do you, which of them do you drop? Do you, do, you, do you drop any of them? I mean, Calvert-Lewin and, well, Demardi Gray's been Everton's best player this season. Calvert-Lewin's the lead striker. I mean, they, they've got to be fit in somewhere, haven't they? Yeah, it is. Like you say, it's further forward, isn't it, where it, um, it creates the dilemma because somebody has got a... Um, miss out and I'm I'm sorry and I, there was some encouraging moments again from him at, at times but you know if it's going to be one of them it's going to be Alex Awobi. Um like you say Anthony Gordon has come on leaps and bounds which means somebody even like um, Andros Townsend who was like a, 
a shoe-in at the start of the season and we're one of the main performers there. A great start to his time at Goodison. You know, he can't get in the side um, at the moment because Gordon has come on. So, um, and such leaps and bounds and sort of made that place his own. So, um, yeah, I think that Awobi would be the one. But my, the, the thing that I'm concerned about is Dominic Calvert-Lewin and the, um, these niggles he, he keeps having. We knew he had that... that Injury it was it was a bad one and kept him out for most of the first half of the season. There uh, four months on the sidelines after three goals and three games at the start of the season, carrying on from where he'd left off last season. Was it twenty one in all comps? And that's one of the big one of the big reasons. Take Calvert Lewin's goals out of the team this season, and no wonder Everton are struggling in like many places down the table to where they were a year ago. Because you take those sort of goals out of any team, they, they're going to be doing a, a lot worse off. I just hope that. Calvert Lewin can keep fit and um, can um, get back amongst the goals as soon as possible. We keep talking about getting these points as soon as possible. He needs to get a goal as soon as possible. He obviously tried that first game back, didn't he, when he took the penalty against Brighton and Albion and ended up skying it. It's kind of gone backwards since. Um, so I've been in and out the side. We don't think he's going to be fit for uh, Boreham Wood and he might not even be fit for Tottenham Hotspur on Monday. So... Yeah, that, that, that's a concern for me. But in terms of the attacking midfielders and who you'd leave out, I mean, there have been encouraging signs for Wolby, but from those ones that you, you've listed, I mean, he, he would be the one for me. Uh, I think you can't leave out Gordon or Richarlison if they're firing on all cylinders and, like, say, Damani Gray back to fitness as well. So, yeah, I mean, even among Sems, might be one of those who have to, to move out, might be two have to go. Mm. Well, Gav... Bees has brought up Boreham Wood. I'm not sure we're going to be recording again before then, so we might as well have a bit of a chat. <laughs> and, well, it, it, I'm, I'm going to ask you the age-old question. I mean, Everton coming up against, well, a non-league side uh, at home uh, in the FA Cup. How many changes do you make to the team? Uh, well, we've got options, haven't we, for the start. Mm. So we can make changes. As Chris said, they may not necessarily... Weaken the team completely. Uh, thinking of the forward line, um, bring Townsend in. I've got a got a good stat about Townsend packed in my pocket. Uh, mm. By the way, um, mm. but um, yeah, I think certainly up front, definitely mm. midfield. If Van der, I'm trying to think, he was cup tied in there, isn't it? And we've got we didn't mention Van there as well, did we? Van der Beek and Delhi are both cup tied, yeah. And yeah. Al Ghazi as well, isn't he? Yeah. And Al Ghazi, yeah. So, um, as you can see, I've done a complete abject lack of research for this FA Cup game, <laughs> but uh, it's important. <laughs> You've got a few days yet, Gav. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think I, I think you'd have to make a few changes, but not necessarily. You know, you know. Without necessarily weakening the team, not 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 saying that we, should, I'd be frightened if we did weaken the team because let's face, we're playing Bournemouth, Wood, aren't we? Not playing Manchester mm-hmm. City, um, but yeah, maybe give a couple of players a rest. Would you give Alan a rest? Yeah, You probably give Decore a rest, would you? Probably, um, fans of Bake. So you couldn't dare replaced the entire midfield, couldn't you, Ron? I think in general, though, like, what, what, who do, who do you replace them with in the midfield, then? If, if you play you're... Townsend there, couldn't you? Townsend, yeah. Gomez has to come in. Yeah, play Wolby, maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah. playing further back. You could play 4-4-2, couldn't you? It, it's just, yeah. it, it, there's, there's options there, uh, but I do think in, in the in the light that we play Spurs four days later to, to rest, 
three or four players. I'd like to see the um, both fullbacks that we bought in January play. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. as well. I think passes and needs maybe some some minutes. Give Seamus a rest. Who I thought was excellent on uh, on Saturday. So yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be looking to change quite a few there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not to the. But I, but I still think we'd have a you know more than more than enough uh, ability to to be born mud. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul, a player that I didn't mention in the midfield probably was Tyler Onyango. I mean, he could, I, I would suggest that there's probably a lot of the under-23 squad who've been training with the uh, senior team over the last few weeks, thinking Onyango, Lewis Dobbin, uh, Reese Welch, perhaps at centre back. You know, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of players there that might have their eyes on this game and be thinking to themselves, I could get a few minutes here. Uh, would you would you trust would you trust starting any of them, or would you would you have them? On the bench, ready to ready to come into the game. Certainly, have them in the squad. I think, given the forward options we've got, Gray, Townsend, Rondon, there's enough players. If Lampard wants to switch it around completely up top, who could come in and probably need game time. So I think Dobbin may struggle, but yeah, midfield, I certainly wouldn't play. It's, it sounds crazy, but it's just a pessimist than me. It's risky to drop the core and Allen for a game with a 50 aside, but you know, <laughs> that is the pessimist than me. Uh, I think both of those definitely need a rest. You bring Gomez in, it could be a stage four Tyler on Yango if you did play it at times and then a Wobie in there with him. You'd, why not? Why not? You know, it's a game we should definitely be winning. Uh, you know, in the summer. Delph's certainly going to go. Another midfielder will probably go. So there's going to be space in that squad. Tom Davis, we don't know when he's going to be back fully fit. So he's not going to get any auditions between now and the end of the season, given the importance of you know the Premier League matches. Why not bring him in? There's also maybe the argument for, for Jared Branthwaite. But probably the three players I would stick with, because I could see maybe being seven or eight changes, would be the centre-backs, keep them playing together. I thought they played pretty well on Saturday, unfortunately. One glaring error from Keane, basically, you know, you know, cost us the game, and and, and really, as I think Chris, you said in your in your ratings, didn't? Yeah, it, was, it might have been a harsh giving of five, but you know, it cost Everton the match, yeah. along with the referee's decision. I agree with it, uh, and I wouldn't change the goalkeeper. I think it's too big. Like you know, I know again, it sounds ridiculous playing a, a non-lead team, but I think keep Pickford. I'm not a fan of dropping the goalkeeper at this stage, and you know, that might be harsh on Beg- uh, Begovic, but I'd, I'd certainly play those three. And then maybe another of the the midfielders or forwards, but yeah, I'd like to see Onyango. Really would, you know, he's clearly highly rated. We're not blessed with options in there, and the two of our two of our best players uh, need a rest, and two of the new signings in Ali and Van der Beek can't play. So yeah, why not give him a go? Mm. I suppose Chris, like it, it, it's always a debate, isn't it? Like obviously, as a Premier League side playing against you know a side in the fifth tier. Yeah, it does. It does present an opportunity to maybe change things up, give players a chance to impress, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you still mm-hmm. want to take this seriously, don't you? Because you don't want to run the risk of what would be, you know, a real, real embarrassment if Everton don't win this. Yeah, because you know it's it, 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 it's live on ITV. Yeah, and, and um, you know, so um, there's going to be a, a, a big national audience there, and it's no, it's not what it would have been maybe at the weekend, but you know, there's going to be. It's on terrestrial television, so Everton have done very well actually sell this game out. Shows you that uh, a lot of interest in there. There's going to be a big crowd at Goodison. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd get the tie one first, and then maybe make make um, 
the changes. Um, I remember um, going back a bit now. Obviously, Gavin remember um, Woking at, at yeah. Park. Um, uh, it was actually one of those back in the day where they could switch it. It was actually drawn to be played at Woking and was officially an away match forever. And Evan actually wore the blue shorts that day because they um, they were the away team. I think they might have even used the away dressing room. But um, they only won that one, 1-0. One and okay, that was, that was over 30 years ago now. But, um, these these non-league teams have become a lot more professional in the, the, the way they are. A lot of those teams in the National League are, are full-time now. They're not... You know, it's not like you know you you butcher baker and candlestick maker anymore. You know, they they are proper footballers, and um, you'd like to think Everton might be able to get a big score, but before you do that, just you know, just get it, just just get it won. You know, these games are you know, it's it's it is you know for a cle it's a cliche, but it is their cup final. It's a massive mm. day for them. They're going to enjoy it regardless of results. So you you don't want to be having any banana skins. And I agree with Paul wholeheartedly about the idea of. Cup keepers. This isn't the under sixes. It's not like oh, let everyone have a go. Um, Begovic is being paid handsomely for his understudy role, and uh, you know to come in as and when required. And I, I would go with uh, with with my. Uh, I wouldn't say the strongest team. I certainly believe. I think the scope for like you say bringing the two fullbacks in that's not going to weaken the team. But I, I don't think if there's one area of the team you don't need to rest as a goalkeeper. So yeah, I'd stick with Jordan Pickford in there, and also the communication with the the back four but yeah there, there are areas where you can uh, can chop and change but um get the, get the tie one first and then think about who can give a run out to perhaps mm. well i mean if we're talking about the fullbacks like going back to saturday gav i mean the the show of support for michelenko and for the whole of ukraine before the game was absolutely it was all inspiring wasn't it it was a really really poignant moment to to be inside goodison for wasn't it yeah, not the type of moment you want to be inside Goodison for, though, really, is no. it? You know, no. um, for well, both sets of fans, wasn't it, and players and officials from from both teams. It wasn't just obviously Everton and the, the meeting of the two lads in the pitch was, um, you know, spoke volumes. You couldn't use words to describe it, really. Um, yeah, you saw you saw you saw Goodison at its best, I think, on on Saturday, um, and. I'm not sure if Mikhailenko's headspace is ready for a game at the moment. Maybe I'm not sure, but yeah, it was uh, it was very poignant, uh, but not the type of thing you wanna you wanna see, sadly. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure whether he, I'm not sure about you know whether his head's there at the moment. It'd be understandable if it wasn't. So maybe the best thing for him was to get him out on the football pitch. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, but it was yeah, very. Uh, very good to say, if that's mm. not. Yeah. Well, Paul, I mean, I think we we say it a lot, don't we? But Everton, Everton do tend to just get these things absolutely spot on, don't they? Yeah, without question. Not the first time, is it, that we we do this? You know, I think that happened obviously around on Hillsborough. You know, young the young Sunderland fan and the donation the club made towards him. The, yeah, I could name so many things. You know, the great work that Everton in the community do. Uh, you know, we can sometimes we get let down by the team <laughs> more more times than often, unfortunately. But we can say we're proud to be Evertonians with the the way the club goes about the business and the more important things in life. You know, it does seem strange to say that because how how passionate and how how much a big part football plays in our life. You know, the events of what's happening in Eastern Europe at the moment really does put it all into perspective. And 
yeah, it was, you know, you, you see the images before the game of the two lads embracing and I don't know if you've seen the video knocking around when the Benfica player comes on in, in their game over the weekend and like Frank Lampard and the coaching staff have just got to be uh, directed by Mikolenko, you know, because it's clear when these sports elite Ukrainian sports people are on the court at the moment, the, the emotions are right there in their eyes. You've seen so many crying, quite understandably, because how can you begin to comprehend that you're somewhere and then back in your country, something like that, a democratic country, something like that's happening. So hopefully it plays. Yeah, with Gav, hopefully it's just a way out for him for a, for 90 minutes. I'm sure again, an incredible reception from the Everton support and maybe there's to support him all the way. But yeah, yeah, brilliant from brilliant before the game. The, the mood was just so right, wasn't it? And very respectful again. Hats off to the club. Yeah, fingers crossed he does get himself on the pitch on Thursday. I think that's all we've got time for. I would usually ask for score predictions at this point, but uh, I'm not sure many of us have watched Boreham Wood play <laughs> too many times, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure how accurate any sort of predictions could be. So I'll let you off the hook for this one, and we'll just yeah. we'll. Uh, I just had him. Sorry to put in there, but we've seen every other team play. When we get predictions, we still get them wrong. So, <laughs> are you suggesting that you get it, this one right? I'm not, I'm not sure whether that will add anything <laughs> value at all. You know, <laughs> if you want to give a prediction, Gav, then by all means, three, three nils to the Mighty Blues. I'm going to say the fans. Yeah, yeah, three, three, nil. three, three nil. All right. Well, everybody's got to do it now. Gav's Gav's dodged you all in. I'm going to have to ask you it all now. Bees, what, what do you reckon? Oh, if Gav's going to say three nil. I say four nil. Oh. You can hold the anti ball. Four one with that lad getting a consolation goal back for Bourne Wood later on, and uh, then it shares off in front of the Gladys Street stadium. Oh yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd be nice. No, I um, think it should, it should be comfortable, shouldn't it? Well, let's hope it'd be comfortable. <laughs> uh, what score do I go for now? I want to be different. Do I go five nil? I'm going to have to go five nil now, aren't oh. I? You have you, you took, you took the uh, you have took the nice scores. I'm going to have to go five nil. I oh, thought the Royal Blue podcast isn't being shown in the Boreham Wood dressing room. I was going to say, like, <laughs> if anybody, if any Boreham Wood fans are listening, I, I do apologise. But uh, direct all of your complaints towards Gav. I didn't want to do this prediction, but Gav, Gav's forced me into it. He's That's harsh. <laughs> right, well, we'll be back later on in the week to discuss Everton's game against Boreham Wood on Thursday and of course we'll be looking ahead to Everton's next Premier League match against Spurs which is coming up next Monday. Uh, thank you all for listening this has been the Royal Blue Podcast You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo